I don't have the current, but I stayed away from it for a while and I just came back. So I need the list of books that were. Well, there. Yeah, we you can pick them up at the reference desk. They'll have a list. No problem. Well, we're the next for the October, November, December. Okay. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I wasn't here before. Oh, but the 10 o'clock is tough because the library is just opening. Right. It was always tough. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then, right. Yeah. Some are on so the book that, that I'm talking will be talking about today is will be talking. I see you have it. Have you read it? No, not all of it. Oh, any, has anybody else read? Oh, you read it. Good. Okay. Well, I need to finish with it. Okay. All right. No, just anyway, but in this case, it's a mystery. So I'm not going to usually I don't do it like does it, you know, make a difference or not, whether it's to be I'm happy. I'm happy. Are more are more wearing masks because of like <laughs> no. I've been seeing more people in masks. Is it because, because the, because Apparently there's been a spike. But they're going to be offering uh, vaccines here at Co in Cote St. Luke at the end of September. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they are. Yeah. Where? In Trudeau Park, oh. from what I read, you can. With the flu, no, just yeah. COVID. And is it the new COVID or? Yeah. I don't. I'm assuming. Okay, you realize that you're right. Yes, to date with this, like where it's in the newest spring. That's right. Right. Oh my God! This wow. is a combination. The newest vaccine is a combination of three of these strains. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's coming it's September. I think it's only coming in October. Yes, but I don't know. Yeah. That's okay. All right. So, um, Jay Harper, uh, we did, I did, well, um, a number of years ago, her first novel called The Dry. And I don't know if anybody remembers that. Did maybe? Yeah. Have you been here? Oh, yeah. I remember it. Australia. Yeah. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. She said it in, uh, and I, this was her first book. Um, it was, uh, I, I thought it was great. And as I was just saying, like, I don't usually read mysteries, but um, I had read reviews and they said this is really uh, a very, a very well written mystery. And it's really cooperative. And I like to cooperative. I like to do these, like mysteries that come with the, um, what's the word, um, the genre? Is it noir, maybe? That's yeah. What call yeah. So, um, she so I, I we did that and then she's written in between three other three other books and now this is her most recent one the one that 
I'm talking about today called XR. So um, I I thought okay I haven't I didn't read I read one of the ones in between but I can't remember which one it's such a terrible memory for titles and names but um, in in this book in the dry she introduces her federal agent Aaron Falk he's her detective although he's uh, he works for the Australian um, for the police the national the federal police service but he's in the financial section, meaning investigating fraud and those kind of cases. But he also gets, it seems that in her series, she has him investigating murders and, and disappearances and not that it's not the financial stuff that he's doing in the books, but that's his official job. And so in the first book, just to, well, if you remember it and, and vaguely, but so let me just, I'll tell you what, what she, so the first one was where she introduces her character, this, this detective, and it's nice, I think, in, in detective series, which I think, it's, I don't know, do, do many of you read, do any of you read? Yes, the mysteries, I'm going to try this. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, it's a novel, it just has a, that's just part of the plot, so I, you know, we have to keep remembering that they're good, and when they're well written, they're wonderful, you know, Agatha Christie, and, uh, I remember as a teenager, I loved being George, George Simenon, we have to do it in French one, but so that I read the rest of them in English, and, these movie and the uh, Scandinavian detective yes. series now they're very popular. Joe Nesbo, Nesbo, Joe Nesbo, and others. And we've done um, the um, Swedish uh, Bear Town and Bachman. Frederick Bachman. Frederick Bachman also has. I mean, they're not so much big stories, but you know, there's the Scandinavian. So she. Is, this is Australia. Until now, they haven't been, um, there hasn't been anybody. And with the drawing, <coughs> this, the author, Jane Harper, as she says in an interview, her life changed overnight because um, this was an, from an interview in The Guardian, the British paper, The Guardian. And she said, when most people's lives change, it's usually in small increments. Often you look back and you realize that you're not the same person you were five or ten years before. Well, kind of a given, right? But less common is the story of an overnight or almost overnight transformation. One week your life is a certain way, then something happens and almost immediately it's completely jaw-droppingly different. This is what happened to me, said Australian author Jane Harper. And what was it that happened that in May of 2016, when this book was published, The Dry, she became a publishing legend, an Australian publishing legend. And what happened to her still remains, though, the dream of many writers. <laughs> you know, most writers dream or many writers dream to become a success, an overnight success. Rarely, rarely, rarely happens. But in this case for her, it did. And she says... The dry completely changed my life. It was like night and day. My life before the dry and after the dry, Harper says. The lives are really different. There wasn't even a gentle transition. It was clearly defined. I wrote this book and then suddenly everything changed. She wrote her debut novel around her day job because her day job was a journalist. So she was a writer. She had a background. It's not that she'd never written anything before and you know did something totally different and wrote this little like novel on the side. 
I mean, she did write the novel on the side because her day job was working for a paper, um, the Australian paper, The Herald Sun. But she really, um, she really was a writer, and she was she was a writer, and she wrote well. And she thought, okay, well, let's see if I can write a book. And she submitted the the manuscript of the drawing for consideration to a publisher. Um, no, it was actually to a, for a literary award, an Australian literary award, the best unpublished manuscript. And the rest, as she says, is history. She said. It did take a bit of getting used to because 2016 was a big year for me and it all happened at once. I, I Because the year before it came out, I got married and then when it came out, I had my first child and I, she doesn't work as a journalist anymore because she's become a writer full time. And to come to think of it, in, in 2016, and now it's 2020. This book, Exiles, was last year, so it's 2022. So in six years, she has five books, which is pretty impressive, um, which is probably due to the fact that she worked as a journalist. So she's an experienced writer. So, it's, you know, she has, she knows how to do this and how to do this under deadline. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you can write books because books, are, you know, it's not like journalism where can you write a story on something or you're given a topic and then the a book is, you know, it's especially novel fiction, you have to create. Um, so she said, that's what happened to me. And she said, but the success also gave me a lot of confidence because I really never thought that I could write a book. And I didn't know how people did it. And I just couldn't see myself investing all the time that it takes to write a novel with such an uncertain outcome, which is most of the books don't get published, you know, and some do. And then every very rarely once in a while, it happens that the book becomes a bestseller. So, um, and, and as, as the Guardian reporter said, every now and then, due to a strange alchemy that publishers wish they could bottle, a mega hit emerges. And thanks to large, in large part to the dry, she has sold one and a half million books in Australia and three and a half million worldwide, which is really something. And it also became, I don't know if anybody saw it, I didn't, but they made a film out of the dry. Um, I don't know how, where it's available because I thought, oh, I should, like when I read this, I, I didn't realize that it was a film, an Australian film with an Australian actor. And it's become one of the Australian highest grossing Australian films ever. And there's another adaptation, which is in the works for her second novel on the series about the, by the detective Aaron Falk, who she introduces in the drive called, called Force of Nature, which is all, also going to star the same. Eric Vanna is the Australian <laughs> I mean, actor who plays the detective here. But what the book did, what the dry did, more interestingly or importantly, is that it seems to have created something of a genre. Outback noir. We have Scandi noir, and you have maybe, you know, Simonon was Belgian noir, or maybe like with Mecha, Agatha Christie had her, or her stories. So, but the noir. So, she created Outback Noir. And well, sorry, Outback Noir. Oh, Noir. Noir? I mean, how would you define it, mystery readers? 
Um, I think that you would say moody stories where as a part of regular history. Yeah, well, I don't know which flows in a straight line. Okay, regular history go like in a straight line. This is like there's something in the background that you don't really know. Oh, is that like that it's yeah. not a straight line? I thought it was more the mood or there's some some midnight. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think maybe there's also they're they're psychological. The characters are developed, I and mean, usually the I think that the detective is developed as a character and has his or her own you know backstory and 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 issues. And there's like I mean, there's a moodiness. There's a psychological aspect to it. It's not just that cut and dry mystery. It's a so it's it's a pretty deep and interestingly developed the regular type of mystery. The regular type of mystery. Yeah, yeah, like a whodunit, right? And you know, who did it? And and you, know, you can have the you can have the detective or the investigator or whoever the main character. Um, no, yeah. no, no, no. I'm sorry. No, no, she asked me if it's important with grandma. I think about that. You know, no, it's uh, he writes a uh, straight stories <coughs> about uh, uh, one detective, another, and whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so then the then yeah. the moodiness, there, there's the psychological development and story, and you know, personal. So I think that that's would be the, the noir that it's, that it's, you know. There's something, I mean, I'm just going by the definition of noir, that there's a little bit in the shadows and in, in so so now there's a new genre because Scandinavian de detective stories, so this Scandinavian noir, that's been around for years and very popular. But now there's this new that seems to be Jay Harper has created Outback, you know, named after the Australian Outback, Outback Noir. Following the success of The Dry, a whole wave of mystery books set in small-town Australia have taken over bookshops. Isn't that interesting? So other writers, I mean, Australia is a big country with lots of writers, so apparently after that, they inspired a lot of other writers to, to you know, submit their manuscripts for publication. In the New York Times, the Australian literary critic recently wrote that um, Jane Harper's Outback Noir Mega Hit the Dry kickstarted a crime writing boom in 2016. The drought lighted bush town became a genre trope. Australia's sunburned answer to the arid cold of the Scandi Noir. <laughs> so really, and when you read this, you're going to see when you read the dry that as okay now it's not so hot and dry here because then I think we did it because I think I don't remember it was six years ago probably when we did it. We did it in the winter, and I thought, okay, we're sitting here in a frigid Montreal winter, and we're reading about the intense heat because the heat becomes such a character in the book, the oppressiveness of the heat, and it also because there's drought and there's and there's you know chance of fire. I mean, we had a small taste of what it was like this yeah. summer. Remember with all the wildfires, we had just a small taste, and so so it becomes a character in the story, the heat and the place. And so that's what really made me like this book so much, which I think you'll see when you read it, Linda, that it's, you know, it's this so evocative of place. So she started this new genre. How's that? Not only did she have a mega hit herself, but then she has, you know, others trying to write the same kind of thing. There have always been novels that really captured Australia beautifully, Jane Harper says. 
of the wave of Aussie crime fiction that has followed her. What I am happy with is if the dry, her book, opened doors and persuaded others to give the genre a go. I hope it's made the path a bit easier to give other Australian crime books the recognition that they deserve. She says, people see the dream side of being an author, the public side, you know, think it's always so glamorous, but she said, it's really not glamorous at all. Mm -hmm. There is a lot, of course, I mean, as you think about it, as you know, a lot of hard work, sitting at your whatever desk, laptop, however the author writes, day in, day out, or trying to get inspiration um, and working at it. She says, setting which is what I've just been talking about, is something that she considers deeply. When I'm thinking about the plot and the real seed of the idea of a book, I am thinking really simultaneously about the setting. I'm wondering about what is going to showcase the setting that I would like to describe in the best possible way. So isn't that interesting? That's why so when you read it, as I said, the setting became almost like a, such a major part of the story that this is what she does. She has her setting, and then it's, once she decides, and the setting is Australia so far. I mean, none of the books have been set outside of Australia. Different areas in Australia is, is large. And in this book, in Exile, it's a different setting. It's not drought. It's the lush wine-growing country of Australia. So it's green and lush and water and very different from the dry. But that's what she said. I figure out where in Australia, and in her other books, there were also the other ones were out of back as well and one in the bush. And so she figures that out. And then she decides what story is going to, you know, is going to showcase the area, the setting that I've decided already. I would like to give the reader something to visualize on the page and the setting impacts the characters in the way that they have grown up or how they have come to that place. And in the character of Aaron Falk, and it really, just from these two books, you can, the fact where he grew up and it's described that he grew up in a setting in the outback in a small, dusty, rundown town really affects who he is as we see him in later novels. So that's what she says she very much tries to do. She says she always fictionalizes the town. So she makes up a name. It's not a real, it's not a real town. But she, the cities that she mentions are real. She mentions Melbourne, she mentions Sydney, she mentions Adelaide and, and other cities. I don't know all the cities in Australia, just the big ones. But she, but when she creates a town, she'll make up a name for that town. She fictionalizes it. And she does research. She heads out to the locations that inform her work. In her latest novel, Exiles, she headed to the lush South Australian wine country. And that's where she wanted to, because she, she didn't grow up there and she wanted to research it so that it should read true to what it really is. Um, she said, I flew to Adelaide and I spent a lot of time in McLaren Vale and in the Barossa. I guess those are two, two wine growing areas there near Adelaide. She said it was so beautiful. The lifestyle was so appealing. I guess it's Australia's version of, I don't know, wouldn't Tuscany in Italy or, uh, Napa. or or the Napa Valley in California. Yeah, so that's, that's the Australian version. 
She said, writing exiles took me there. And it was great to have to go, like for me as my research, to go to that place and then mentally to be able to go back to it when I wrote my story. The lifestyle is just a very appealing lifestyle. And I and so I started to think, were there any other novels set in the Australian wine country? In the outback? Yes, because that's been. And do you remember, does anybody remember many years ago? There were these Australian films. There were some beautiful, very evocative Australian films. What were they? I can't remember. They were in the 70s, like way back then. And I, I, I watched them, and they were they were really like, what what is Remember them? What they were? Does anybody remember what they were called? And they were and they were well-known directors. And anyway, they were not calling Bill to mention that name. It's about a level of water. I don't think that was the story. Picnic at Honey Rock. Does anybody remember that one? So again, that was very, and that was a mystery, and that was so evocative. That was Phil. Okay, so it's got a book that was Phil, but it was Australia. And I think that was the first time, you know, back whatever, 50 years ago, that I remember thinking, oh, this is a very interesting place. It's so different from anything here. Um, and uh, so anyway, she said that that she she decided that this was, so this was her change. Instead of the dryness and the heat, in this book, it's the lushness of the wine-growing country. She says, how, and when she was asked about, you know, how do you write? And she said, well, I have a very defined writing process, which clearly works for her because five books in like six years is pretty, pretty good. She says, it's important for me to have, a, to have a routine in order to avoid being overwhelmed. She said, each year, as I write more books, the process has become more streamlined. I learned something more with each book. I know as you know, and but I know if I work in a certain way, I have certain steps that I figured out, the book will be finished. And she says she keeps, she decided for her, she keeps an office away from home, not in my you know room somewhere or in my basement, away from home, completely dedicated to working on my books. I spend a long time planning, I make hundreds of notes, and I then I find often when I shut down my computer and leave the office. That's when an idea will come <laughs> to me. So she says, um, and obviously, as I said, she's become very, very good at it. And which, whenever she finishes a book, her large and by now pretty voracious readership is waiting, saying, and her publishers are asking, okay, and what's the next one? So she said, but I have to tell you that the thing that has really helped me was that I have a print journalism background. I knew how to sit at the computer and get the words on the page and express an idea on paper. The key, or I guess paper, you say now on a scroll, but anyway, then you get the idea. Sit there and write and express words on a page. And the key has been to draw on those things for me to get into writing my books and put aside the overwhelm. So that's all I can say to anybody who asks me about, you know, how do you write, is that you have to figure out the discipline within yourself and figure out what process works for you and set yourself deadlines <laughs> and then you learn the rest on the job. So 
that's a bit of background about her. So she was a journalist working, you know, very nicely as a journalist, and then wrote this book. And boom, overnight, catapulted to success, became very popular, seems to have started a flow of, you know, the genre of, or, or say, Australian detective stories. And uh, she's doing very well. <laughs> the one, one film where it made and another one in the works. And who knows what comes after that. So this one. So we have, okay, so that's the drive. And now we have Exiles, which is set different country set in the lush um, Australian wine country. There's a mysterious disappearance, and the I like the cover of the book too. I know you're never supposed to judge a book by its cover, but you're not supposed to read. But anyway, the cover is of a Ferris wheel um, at nighttime, because you can see the sun has set behind it, and the Ferris wheel is there, and the um, and there are trees around it. Some of them are set in the middle of the desert, um, and it's set. There's a, as the back, as the cover of the book says, at a busy festival site on a warm spring night, a baby lies alone in her stroller, her mother vanishing into the crowd. A year later, Kim Gillespie's absence casts a long shadow as her friends and loved ones gather deep in the heart of the South Australian wine country to welcome a new addition to the family. Joining the celebration is federal investigator Aaron Falk, he's a detective, they're an investigator. But as he soaks up life in the lush valley, he begins to suspect that his tight-knit group may be more fractured than it seems. Between Falk's closest friends, a missing mother, and woman he's drawn to for the first time, she gives her detective a love thing for this. You know, like we haven't done this before. Dark questions linger as long ago truths begin to emerge. So that's from the back of the book. So the setting is a sleepy vineyard in the lush Australian wine country. There's a mysterious disappearance and there's a tight knit community because this is a small town or small community with more than a few secrets ready to come to life. And this is how Jane Harper lays out an enticing scene for a mystery novel set in the fictional Marilee Valley, that's the, that she, she, she fictionalizes the name, of the author's native Australia. And the story begins with a sleeping baby found alone in a pram at the village's annual festival. And we find out that the child's mother has vanished into the night. And the novel's protagonist, which is, who is this federal investigator, Aaron Falk, he returns to the valley a year later because the disappearance has taken place um, a year earlier than the rest of the book is taking place. And he returns to the valley a year later to uncover the mystery. He doesn't actually come to uncover the mystery, but he comes there for the christening of his friend's baby. But as he learns more about the community that the disappeared woman, that the woman was Kim Gillespie was part of, he discovers that there's a whole web of family ties and, and, and interconnections. So apparently it's billed as, I didn't realize, that the trilogy finale um, following that the, that the the dry is the first of the Aaron Falk novels. The stories are, you can, they're standalone. You don't have to have read. They're totally different with different settings. But, but when, by trilogy, it means apparently that, her, that there are only three books that she's going to use this detective in. And, and just with the first, then the second one um, was the, what was that called? Sorry, I forget the name. The second one, her second one was, uh, the second one 
Anyway, the second one and the third one is X is is Exodus. So that's the trilogy where, but one hopes maybe as he's 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 a he's a, a an interesting investigator and psychologically an interesting character that maybe she's got a brain and that you know yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but anyway, I guess she built it as the third in her art, uh, in her Aaron Ball trilogy. So, um, how did she begin the book? There's a prologue that takes place a year earlier with the disappearance at this at this festival. Um, and what's the festival? The festival is that once a year, the wine growing area uh, where the story is set has a um, a week-long festival showcasing the products of the area, the agricultural products and the wine. And, and so it's very nice. And they have, and thus the Ferris wheel, because they also have rides. It's a festival, it's a fair, it's a like, I guess think of like a state fair. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's what it is. But so in her prologue, this is how she writes, just to give you a, a bit of an idea of how she writes. Prologue. Think back. The signs were there. What were they? They all asked themselves the same questions afterward. How did it come to this? Could we have stopped it? That was the key one, Aaron Falk knew. And the answer was probably yes. Even with no warning, and there were warnings, the answer was almost always yes. Million decisions paved the road to a single act, and a single act could be derailed in any one of many ways. But choices had been made, some conscious and considered, some less so. And all of the million paths that had laid ahead, this was the one that they found themselves on. The baby was asleep when she was discovered. She was just short of six weeks old, a good weight for her age, healthy and well, other than being completely alone. She would have been warm enough deep inside her bassinet stroller. She was swaddled carefully in a clean wrap purchased from the state's leading baby wares retailer and tucked in with an artisan wool blanket, thick enough to have the effect of flattening out the bundle of her shirt if placed in the right way. It had been placed in exactly that way. A casual glance toward the stroller would inevitably see first see the blanket rather than the baby. It was a spring night and the South Australian sky was clear and starry with no rain forecast, but the weatherproof hood had been pulled over to full stretch. A linen square normally used as a sunshield was draped over the opening between the hood and the stroller. A casual glance would now not see the sleeping girl at all. The stroller was parked alongside a few dozen others in the Marilee Valley Annual Fruit and Wine Festivals designated Stroller Bay. Fighting for space in the shadow of the Ferris wheel with a tangle of bikes and scooters and a lone tricycle. It had been left in the far corner, the foot brake firmly on. And it was a go and it's 10.30. By 10.30, most people had left. The families, it was a very family thing. We've been mixing wine and cheese and carnival rides. Decided that they had celebrated local projects enough for one night and left. By a little after 10.30, only one stroller and the assistant electrical technician's bike were left. And so this technician comes by and he's, he's the stroller and he, like, he's the last guy on the, the grounds. He walks over to the stroller and he bends down and he peers under the hood 
And then he sees, the, and then the baby sees this bundle, swaddle bundle move. And he calls, he pulls out his phone and he makes a phone call. The baby's name is written on the label of her onesie, Zoe Gillespie. The family wasn't local, at least not anymore, but the festival director and the responding on-duty officer knew both parents by name. Zoe's mother's phone rang from the diaper bag stowed in the shopping holder underneath the stroller. The tone trilled loudly in the night. The zip bag also held a set of car keys and a purse complete with ID, cards, and cash. So the technician runs out into the visitor's parking lot and he sees the car, a family sedan matching the make on the key ring was one of the few remaining vehicles. Then Zoe's father's phone, he calls Zoe's father and Zoe's father comes to the restaurant and um, they search and they search and where has Zoe's mother gone? The father apparently had gone with his parents to a restaurant 15-minute walk from the festival grounds, and they call him and they say, we found the stroller with your daughter here, but it was it was all by itself. Where's your wife? And he comes, he comes back as quickly as he could, and the whole site was searched, and Zoe's mother, who was 39-year-old Kim Gillespie, she was not found. And there were volunteers, and assembled, and they searched, and they searched the vineyards and everywhere around. Um, the exit... And then they called the police, of course. Um, and there was, and then to make this setting more evocative, then that we find out that there's the fairgrounds are near, there's a leisure trail that circles a reservoir. There's a very large water reservoir with a trail around it. Um, and with nobody on it at that time of night that was searched as well. And then there is a steep rocky ledge known locally as the drop. And far below this ledge of this embankment is this reservoir, very deep and very wide. And as one reviewer said, the murky waters of this reservoir are nicely symbolic of the murkiness of the, you know, the story. But what is going on? Not only in you know what happened to this baby, but then as the story goes on and we meet more and more characters, and there are other secrets as well. Two days later, a shoe is found, and it's Kim Gillespie, the missing mother's white sneaker, waterlogged and streaked with sediment. And it was recovered more than a kilometer away to the east, jammed in the dam's filters, because there are filters in the reservoir. Divers, specialist divers were called in to, to try to go down into the reservoir. They went as deeply as they could. They searched and searched and searched, and then they couldn't find anything. Spring turned into summer and summer into autumn, and little baby Zoe grew up and grew out of her stroller, took her first steps, needed shoes of her own. Her first birthday came and went. What? Did I see? Those who knew and loved the family were left with their questions. They asked themselves and each other, what did I miss? But Zoe's mother did not come back for her. That's the prologue. So that sets the story. So there's this baby that's found, but the father is there. It's not that the baby's totally abandoned, but this is the basic kind of bare bones introduction that we get, and Zoe's mother is not found. So then, the story begins, and as she writes, chapter one, one year later. And we find that Aaron Falk, our 
made character investigator. He's back now, one year after this happened, and apparently he had been there that previous year as well at the at the fairgrounds. I think so. He was there. He wasn't the investigator on the case. So when these questions of what did I see and what did I miss and like there must be some way to solve the mystery. He himself, the professional, is asking himself these questions, as are all of Kim Gillespie's friends and family and anybody who thought, well, she couldn't just have disappeared. Like, what happened? So Aaron Falk is back a year later. And what is he doing there? He's come to the christening of his very close friend. Greg Rayco, and we meet Greg Rayco in the drive. Greg Rayco has, is the local police sergeant of the small town where the drive is set. Um, but Rayco has grown up in this town, in this area where the disappearance took place. So Rayco and our and our Aaron Falk have become friends in the ensuing years because they met, they meet six years ago, and the chronology is still there, that they met six years earlier when Rayco was trying to solve the case that was set in Investigator Falk's own small town, and he comes in to investigate as well. So the two, that's where the two of them become friends. And now, six years later, um, Rayco is, is Rayco and his wife, Rita, Greg Rayco and his wife, are having the christening of their son which was supposed to have been held a year earlier. But then Kim Gillespie's absence in this small town makes everybody in the town so upset and so distraught that the Rakos decide that it's not appropriate to do the christening right now. Like, let's figure out what happened to little Zoe's mother and settle this. And apparently you could postpone the christenings. Anyway, so they're, they're doing it a year later. So this is why Adam Paul, our detective, our investigator, our protagonist, is back in town again in the same setting, in the same place, a year later. Because he's been invited to be godfather at his friend Greg's son's christening. So he comes and... Um, and it comes, and it comes back to the town. And then it turns out, so I'm not going to go, because it's too hard to explain, you know, names and characters because we don't have the book in front of you or when you haven't read it. Um, but everybody in this little town has, knows, has known each other, whether they moved away and come back, as, as Greg and his wife no longer live there, but they came back for the Christmas because they have a lot of families still there. One of the big, it seems that one of the big themes of the book is, is family, is family and friends and connections between people and the kinds of things that one does for the people one loves. That seems to be, and I think it's in the dry as well. If you remember it or if you'll, if you'll read it, you'll see. So she, um, the, and the book takes its time. And it's interesting, I read a number of reviews and a number of the reviews had listened to it on the audiobook. And it's a different experience. I don't listen to audiobooks usually. I, I listen to audio podcasts, but generally I listen to I read books. And the readers of the well, the reviewers who wrote in after having only listened to the audiobook said we that a, a complaint from a few of them, not all of them, but a few of them was it's hard to follow the characters when you're listening to an audiobook. Because when you when you have a um, when you have the book in front of you, you can go back and forth and you can flip the pages and seconds and wonder, who's this person? And what did you say about it? And then it's, you know, it's not terribly difficult. It's not like a Russian novel where 
you need a directory, you know, of the names <laughs> at the meeting. It's really, it's not, it's not that bad. But I guess if you're, you know, if you listen to it on the car, or, uh, you know, audio, audio, as an audio, it's not as easy. So I'm not going to go into the character, you know, into the different characters, but I gave you the setting. And there is a relatively large cast of characters, the, the, the people who grew up in that town and the family of Greg Rayco. Um, and, uh, and she takes her time. The, the story takes its time to lay out its large cast of characters. Notably, of course, among them is the protagonist, Paul, who is a very um, a shrewd, a reserved man a policeman, investigator, but who now works for is a financial investigation. It's financial crimes that he investigates, um, and he works. He works in in Melbourne, and so this is not his usual place. But he and so he's an outsider to this close knit community. But he's welcomed into it because his good friend is Greg Rayco, who grew up there, and Rayco's family is there. And it turns out that Rayco's brother Charlie. Um, at one point, was married to the to the woman who disappeared, Kim Gillespie. They they split up a number of years earlier, and or and she has this new six week old baby with her new partner. And she and the new partner also don't live it no longer live there. But um, but that's the connection. So you so you've got these these characters who are interwoven. Kim Gillespie, the missing woman, who was once an entrenched member of this community, we'll call it the Marilee, I don't know if that's the, the town, I guess the town, the town around which the wine road, this wine road county is, the Marilee community, she was an entrenched, that's where she grew up, she was part of the community, she went to school there, so all of the locals knew each other, there was one school, and so the kids, until they left to go, those who left to go to uni, as they call it, I guess that's a British way of saying to university, because you have to, a little bit of the of the language is the Australian. Um, for example, when they talk about football, they call it footy, which I, I never heard that expression before, the footy. So at first I thought, what? but then I realized, yeah, it has to be football, because it's soccer, because it, that's what gets in. So there are a few words. But anyway, so the kids are all, and that becomes also an important part of the story. Um, because these kids seem to be a lot of drinking going on in these small towns <laughs> in Australia, and these teenagers drink a lot, and there are these annual drinking rituals and school graduation, and they go to this spot, the spot that they're first introduced, where this this lookout over, over that overlooks the reservoir where the trail is. There's a little hidden path there that is a pretty well-known area where teenagers go to hang out and to drink, um, where all the teenagers at one point had, they, they all knew about it. And something had happened years earlier when this Kim Gillespie was a young teen, which was 17 or 18 years old, and had gotten very drunk, and there's a reference to that. So this, uh, the reservoir and that whole area and the drop into the reservoir is always hanging over the story. Um, and this miss, so this missing woman, this 39-year-old mother of the six-week-old, she also has a 17-year-old daughter from her first marriage to Charlie Rayco, the so the uncle of the baby to be christened. So as I said, there's all this interweaving. Um, and um, 
And then, and then we get added in the festival organizer who becomes our inspector's love interest. Um, and while, you know, so there seems to be a lot of mystery abounding in this sleepy village, there is plot because it's, it's, it's a bit on the slow moving side, which I think in the genre maybe, again, I'm not an experienced mystery reader, and I think in the more like David Baldacci kind of, or I don't know, John Christian, I mean, I don't usually read it, but that maybe it's, you know, more move along, move yeah. along. But in this, a lot of it is these evocative descriptions of place, descriptions of people, the interrelationships between the characters are very important. So you have, uh, but, and we also find out, not just one part. So we have the main one is in the prologue, is maybe whose mother has disappeared. And a shoe was found, but so far a year later, the body of the missing woman is not found. It also turns out that, and are the two related or not related, we don't know, that there had been a, a car accident, a very tragic car accident, in that there's that there was a, a, a road in that on that over that reservoir, very dangerous winding road. And there had been a car accident, and a man had been, his car was hit by a car when he was walking his dog, and had, it seems like, well, not seems like, because eventually, after six months, his body was found. And he made, it was a hit and run. The car was never found, which was sort of strange, because it's not a busy, you know, big city area, and the car just disappeared, and nobody knew who who was the driver of this hit-and-run vehicle. The, the, the man's body is found, about, but it took about six months to find him, but the driver of the car is never found. So that's this, and it's a local. So that's the second mystery that Aaron Falk is, he, he finds himself unwittingly involved in. But as she did in the drive, the Australian setting is dramatic enough that it's almost a character in itself. And we have our Aaron Falk, our tall, thin, Melbourne federal agent, which as he's described with his close cropped white blonde hair and invisible eyelashes. That's what this is right in the description. So these are the hallmarks of Jane Harper's Aaron Falk mysteries. And we met in, we met Aaron Falk six years ago in 2017 with the drive. And he was 36 years old then. So figure he's in his early 40s. He's six years later now. And as I said, he's working in the financial division of the Australian Federal Police Board. Um, and which again, apparently makes sense because the author, Harper, was coming to thriller writing from a police reporting beat at the Herald Sun in Melbourne. So the, you know, the, the, the business reporting, she also covered financial crimes and, and, and you know, frauds and those kinds of stories. So maybe that's why she has her detective working in that kind of job. Oh, the second book was called Force of Nature. That was published in 2018. And then she wrote in between, as I said, two other books, which were not part of the series. One called The Lost Man, which was critically very acclaimed, which I didn't read, I don't think, but I think I would like to read it because that was a, a, a very good book. And another one called The Survivor. So those weren't part of that series. And now we have the, um, now we have Exiles. So it's not, you don't have to have read the other two books in order to appreciate this. 
but I guess it does enhance the experience. So it's good that you're, you know, you're meeting the drive because you meet Aaron Ball six years earlier when, you know, he's, he's starting out. And the friendship between him and Greg Rayco, who is the, the policeman in the small town where Aaron Ball grew up, that's where their friendship started. So that, that's how the connection is. And now he's back here being the godfather and Rayco's son, um, Prisoning. So whereas the drive was set in Kiwara, a fictional farming community in regional Victoria, five-hour drive from Melbourne, um, the title refers to the drought that was raging, as I said, in the area at that time, which sucked the life out of the local economy and created that imminent threat of wildfire and drove everybody a little bit mad. And that's the feeling of the drive. So here, different, as I say, different setting because it's lush and it's wine and it's, you know, there's people, if they're driven a little mad, it's not from any, any fear of dread. But in that book, in this book, the scorching heat and the effects of that heat are never off the page for very long. And it seems like environment and weather are always key players in Harper's work. She says setting is important. And so you have in exile the lushness and the vineyards and the green and the water and the and the the mountains and the forests and the reservoir. That's also not off the page for very long in this book as well. And so um, she and she right away established in this first book that her detective fault was no debonair James Bond type, but he's a thoughtful, compassionate man. And maybe that's also part of the, what's it called, the genre of noir mysteries, that the detectives and inspectors are usually thoughtful and compassionate people who, who think, you know, who give so much thought to things. And that's why the psychological aspect of those, of these kind of books, make them more than just a regular, you know, whodunit kind of thriller. He is unmarried. He's still unmarried when we meet him here. He's a bit of a loner. Um, although he's very good friends with Greg Rayco, this his other the other policeman and whose son's christening he's going to, uh, who's a very personable uh, man, he's happily married, and Falk or his fault, he's the single guy, the loner, the he doesn't see, and at the beginning of Exiles, we find out that he's had a relationship relatively recently, but it didn't really go so well, and he's just broken up. So um, when he finally has a love interest in this book, then you kind of think, oh, this is nice. You know, he's a nice guy. It's good that, he, um, that he's found somebody. Um, but the, the story continues. And as I said, with the, kid, the remains of him were never found. Even though, okay, one of the sneakers turned up in the dam by the reservoir. Some people have the idea, like, what, what's the story? What? Should people have noticed what could they have done? You know, what would, when they were blaming themselves about what didn't we see, what should we have picked up on? Because there was this idea that she was suffering from postpartum depression. And then they find some prescription. But remember, she's moved away from this community. She's no longer with the father of her older daughter, who's a 17-year-old Zara. And it's Zara who insists that the she has not given up hope that her mother will turn up whether alive or not alive, but Zara keeps up the search. And she's very upset that it seems like the community and the and the investigation has stopped because she doesn't believe that it should have. And so she is driving force 
behind continuing the investigation. So this Kim Gillespie is, has a 17-year-old daughter from, from her late from her relationship with Charlie. Um, and also this six-week-old baby with the second husband. And um and so is that it? Was she did she suffer from postpartum depression and she took her own life and she threw herself over in, in, in this severe depression, depressive state that she was, or was she so severely depressed that she just threw herself over the edge and landed in this reservoir? And that's why her shoe was found there. But a body was never found. And that's what bothers Sarah. Investigators are stumped and they hadn't continued the investigation. The local policeman, and there was a local policeman, because remember the, the red character is a policeman back in the town where Inspector Falk comes from, not here. He's just come here because his family was here. The local policeman seems also to be baffled and nothing is really happening, as is the investigation to that hit and run that took place also at the same time that what happened and why was the car never found how could the person who who hit um that man who leaves also a 17 18 year old son um it, nobody's investigating that and those are the two mysteries that Falk finds himself involved with as well as i said for the first time in the three books Falk has a love interest and who is the woman that he's attracted to? The director of the festival, who was the widow of the man who had been killed in the hit and run, and by that unsolved hit and run accident. She and Falk, you know, there's a spark between between them, and he comes back here to uh, to 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 replace, and they meet again. They met once earlier. Um, and, you know, will they, won't they, are they going to get there, are they not? That's another little bit running through the story. Um, but really, what happened to Kim Gillespie? Why, like, did she disappear? Did she take her own life? What was the story? So that's what the book really, that's what it's about. And that's the mystery. There's a lot of description. I mean, it's, it's a 350-page book. We have a lot of different characters. As I said, I'm not going to go into the characters because you, um, there's, mm -hmm. I heard it too. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what it was. Mystery. We're reading a mystery. <laughs> so, um, yes. So that in this such a tight community, how does a person just disappear? I mean, was it? She killed it. She she took her own life because she was so depressed. Was it or was it not? Was there some kind of and so the investigation had taken place and they I mean, did it. They brought in investigators from, from the big city and they interviewed everybody that night. You know, do you think you saw her? And there were sightings of her. Yes, we saw her on the fairgrounds and she was, you know, she was um she was walking here, she went into the toilets, she did this, and we saw her. But nobody can, they're sort of vague. And she was the kind of woman who looked like many other women of her age, you know, with the like average build and average, I don't know, light brown hair color and um, wheeling a baby with the baby carriage. So nothing turned anything up. 
the, in the end, we find out what happened to her. I'm not going to give it away because I'm likely to be, because I think they will enjoy it. Um, we find out what happened to her, and he also manages our, our Aaron Falk, our super investigator, to find out what happened in that hit and run story. And there you see his. So I'm not good at knowing whether I wonder, I would be interested to know if anybody reading it, or did you figure out? Um, you read it, right? Yeah. No, no, no. I don't think that there, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not good at it, but what, do you think that there was any thing? Maybe it's not a straight line. Like a yeah, because so it goes back and forth, right? Yeah. So when the characters were teenagers and when they, they themselves were 17 years old and drinking on and that spot. And comparing between the young kid, the two 17-year-olds. Right. Yeah. The, the, the daughter of the woman who's in the lesbian who's not found and the son of the man who was killed in the in the hit front. And he, keeps saying, and he keeps saying that he never saw um, Kim. Right. Oh, and it happens that the young man, the son of the um, who's a stepson of the he was hired and he was sitting at the exit and he says, I never saw her leave. She did not leave the fairground, he insists a year later. So the two teenagers are trying and they have this campaign and they're giving out leaflets. You know, have you seen this woman with a picture of Kim a year later, hoping that people who come back, they come back yearly and it might jog their, jolt their memory and think they, because they want to know. And especially the daughter wants to know yeah. what happened to my mother. It can't be that she doesn't, you just can't lie. With the fact that there and the the fact that she was in the washroom for so long, there was yeah there was one part right when she goes into the washroom and what happened yeah, to her. Why is the book called Exile? Okay, so why is the book called Exile? So I have to think about that too because what's the? Do you have any ideas on that? Um, I just thought because all the people that were involved were exiles that didn't live there anymore. Yeah, I think so too. That was what that was what I think that this Kim Gillespie, the woman who disappeared. Um, had moved away. She married. She she separated from her first husband, the father of Zara, the seventeen-year-old, who's looking for his for her mother. Um, and things weren't good. They were childhood sweethearts, the two of them. They've been together ever since high school. And there's a lot of flashbacks to the high school days because it turns out that something that happened in high school could have been a clue. As to, I mean, not that we the readers would know it so much, but but when you read it, you, that's what yeah, she's describing. I never figured that out. No, I never figured it out either. So, but then again, I was thinking I never figured anything out. So maybe it was me that I don't know if anybody knows what. Um, so she is. She left. She met. She she married her her second husband, with whom she had this six month six week old baby, who also came. They was also from the same high school, except that he had gone away. He became an engineer, successful engineer. And he moved away. I think it was Melbourne, Adelaide. I forget the city. So anyway, she was she was no longer living there. Um, she'd come she'd come back to the to the fair because it was the annual big thing, and to see her family. But she no longer lived there. And Aaron um, Aaron Falk, also our our investigator for main character protagonist, no longer lives in the small town that he grew up in. And if you read the drive which you don't know from this book so much, but if you read The Drive, um, something happened in that small town and Aaron Falk and his father 
had to leave. So I think that that's it. To me, that seems to be the explanation that the, the, that Falk himself is that was exiled from his from his hometown and his you know community and sense of family, which he never, at least by the third book, never really built up again. He's become somewhat of a loner. He's very good at his job. He's a workaholic. That phone said his phone is always ringing and. He takes his week off to go to wine country and his friends they use prisoning, but it's very unusual for him to take a week off. But the phone keeps ringing. But the phone keeps ringing. Yeah, yeah. So he's that. But he has no other, you know, he didn't seem to be successful at relationships like him. And he's just broken off uh, relationships with the with most recently, the one we most recently had. And there's, you know, there's no family, there's no children, no parents. Like it's a very, uh, he's alone. And this Kim Gillespie. Who grew up in this tight knit community was very much part of it. Had married a local boy, her child, you know, her high school sweetheart. She too, something happened there. They that relationship ended. She remarried to another local guy, except that they don't live locally. Didn't live locally anymore, and she had the second child with this with the second guy. So they were. I think these. I think that's. I think they're the exile. You know, exile from their from their mm-hmm. home, from their community. And what and what what she I really think what she tries to do besides description of place present a mystery two actually which both are solved as said by the end um, in her very engaging and accessible style setting the scene here with her usual deftness and skill and I think drawing us readers in with the vivid descriptions and her very palpable sense of place, which as she said, she always wants the place to be very important. Um, maybe the pacing and the structure is a little slower than, yeah, you found it also. Yeah. Okay. So, and I didn't read the middle one, I don't think. Well, I know I read the boy, but I didn't yeah. remember it. Yeah. So yeah. I think the dry had a more, like it was I remember I like pace and years more years. intense. <laughs> and this one was a little a little slower and drawn out. And and I think you know a number of the readers felt the same way. Still very evocative, characters still good, but um and at the end, so uh, at the end we get a chapter told from Kim's perspective, which as one reviewer said, you could view as the author's get out of jail free card for the author plot-wise. Um, and ultimately the revelation that leads to the resolution of the case, it's signposted. If you go back, so then you go if you go back and you read the other scenes and you read the scenes, what happened when they the, they themselves were teenagers, Tim and you know Charlie and the other, then maybe you could fit like it's not totally implausible, but what happens, but it's definitely not glaringly obvious by any means. Just as I guess one could say, on the right side of believable. And concocting one twist that surprises but satisfied is not an easy task. But she also has this parallel mystery running, which is the one of the, um, you know, the hit and run. Whereas why didn't they find the car? The body of the man they did, they did find, but why not the car? Like somebody covering something up. Somebody is covering it up. And we think, you know, is it the local policeman? Is this would he covering it up because he doesn't some, you know, for whatever reason he's connected or did he do what I don't know? Like that's what you think when you're reading it. But 
she that one gets solved as well. And so you could say kudos to her because she she manages she, she manages I think satisfactorily to fix to finish to tie up both those stories. Um, and there is even the possibility at the end that our inspector Falk may sacrifice work for love. And really this love interest in the local place, maybe, maybe she is going to be the one. Which, and as one, I thought one reviewer was funny. One reviewer says, but you know what? I think his fans hope that maybe it really won't be so because if he's going to live happily ever after, then these makers aren't going to have him anymore for this series. You know, I mean, Miss Farfall and the other apparently well-known, I don't know, so other detectives, you know, they have some love interest, but really doesn't always work out because, but still, the appeal of Aaron Falk, this young inspector, the young inspector, is that he really is the kind of fellow that you'd like to have at your side if you ever would find yourself in a tight spot. So it would be a shame if we never encounter him again. <laughs> okay, any questions? Any um, comments? So you recommend this for him? I do. I do. I mean, I would say read the drawing because, it, yeah, um, I read it because I and I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed the descriptions. Different, completely. I say you know, lush wine growing country. Didn't know anything. I don't know much about Australia, so I know it's just it's huge and it's all got all kinds of different and lots of desert and lots of outback and that's what they usually think of but this wine but because you see Australian wine so you know you can get it on the big end. so there's it's a very big wine growing country um a good story um yeah I really think that a good story you yeah 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 so we'll see yes one thing following me right at the beginning yeah how come a baby parked Clara doesn't cry, and the two doesn't cry. Doesn't it doesn't attract any attention? Six months since it's six weeks old, or six weeks. She's only six weeks old. Um, she parked in the stroller parking lot where there are right. no people around for a long time. Okay, it's yeah. when so she oh, had, I guess she happened to be like when she's found there, when at least the way it's described, when the when the technician. At the closing time, goes and it's the last remaining stroller. Um, he lifts up the cover because what's this one stroller doing there? There shouldn't be anybody left. And he looks inside. The baby was sleeping and she's tiny and she's six years old and she's covered up. But we don't know how long she's been there. Exactly. Okay. okay. So that's all part of the part of you. The father was at the restaurant. He was gone for hours and they yeah. dropped her off. So it's been hours and hours. That didn't make sense to me at the beginning. No, but we don't know because the mother, the mother, the mother in the park, was, and he, he walked over. The mother to, was was he was was and then he walked over to the restaurant. He was in the restaurant with his parents for hours. But the but the mother was with the baby, and the mother was seen throughout the night by by people saying, "Oh, we saw her." So she was in there. We don't know for well. That's a mystery. Okay, so that's the mystery. You know the ending. So, but if you don't know the ending, it's not. Uh, yeah, I saw this documentary about how I think I, I don't know if it's Finland where they just like or Denmark I think where it's it's common practice to leave your stroller with your baby outside. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, they just, they, well, just, you just leave them. Like if you're, you're, they're supposed to be, yeah, they're supposed to enjoy fresh air, but you don't need to be outside. So you just leave your stroller and have a nice day and come back. Well, and you I, know, like, not not in like, not in a cafe where you're sitting. Yes, in like, a cafe. Well, cafe. Yeah, cafe. but it's 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 just funny because it's not something that Canadians would ever do. No, but apparently, so, at least not nowadays, right? In the old days, it's all the day. In the old days, we got to sit in the garden in a stroller in a cramp. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's I mean, maybe they're less, I don't know that much about Australian culture. Maybe they're just less hung up on these things at the time. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 because in North America, we're pretty, um, you must watch your child until they are 17. Until they're 17, 24 hours a day. Uh, never let them out of your sight, right? Yes. How it was years ago. So I don't know. But um, anyway, I like I like I like the way she said it out the prologue, like this, and then going back, and then and then I mean you have to read it. I can't tell it to you. It's like that's too. It's not so good because the characters won't mean anything. But it's the description and it's the setting of the Australia. And it just I thought it was so interesting because now there's a new genre of a Australian cream noir and crime noir. But are you saying you have to read this one? No, no, you don't have to read it. They're standalone. You, although it, it doesn't hurt to read it when you went back the whole background about who who he is, Aaron Paul, uh, and what happened to him and what his story as a young man was. So it's good to read it. But you don't have to. You always have that. I'm really on it though. Yeah. Yeah. That's it.